0: 855- Five six one six one six twenty. What are those people talking about? You got a
1: deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Let us get started because we have a lot of ground to cover on today's program. All right, we we talked about this for one segment of the show yesterday. Now there's been some new information out. I am a huge fan of Mayfair Shopping Center. Mayfair Shopping Center was, of course, the, the first enclosed shopping center in the Milwaukee area. Matter of fact, a couple friends of mine... Including one very good friend of mine who was instrumental back in the day with helping you know populate the the Mayfair with with shops and all, and so it's it, it's just it's really it, it's fascinating to sit down at dinner sometime and listen to my friend's stories of you know how Mayfair got started and things like that. So you know Mayfair has always been an institution, and whereas shopping centers and strip malls have come and gone, Mayfair has pretty much you know, survived. Now, there's been some rocky times. There's been some less rocky times, but, but Mayfair is, is still there. Northridge has come and gone. I understand Southridge is there, but Southridge is kind of struggling. Southgate was gone. Um, you know, Brookfield Square. Brookfield Square is still there, but Brookfield Square has changed dramatically. It, it's less shops now, and it's more... Restaurants and things of the like. And, of course, you have the various iterations at Bayshore Town Center. And, you know, right now, Bayshore really, really struggling. Where it ultimately leads, I I guess, who knows. But there's always been Mayfair. The question is, how much longer can this go on? If you didn't see the story, what happened is Saturday evening, about 745, there was a full-blown... Pier 6 brawl that broke out in the food court. The initial report suggested that there were 15 people involved. Actually, the, the truth was it was about 35 people involved. And we're talking about punches being thrown, chairs flying. I mean, a major league brawl. And the story that's coming up now is you had a lot of the, the people who run kiosks or are working in these stores. They saw this thing happening, and, you know, what happened is uh, they were watching as this started to, you know, escalate that, you know, they, they people were, like, like running for their lives. Stores were closing. The people that run kiosks were holding them up, you know, were closing them down, trying not to get hurt. number of the games, the stores in the area were, were locking these things up. Um Witnesses, employees there, said that they saw pepper spray being used. Um, They saw people involved in the fight trying to fight police. One individual took a walkie-talkie away from security. One of the employees who was recording the brawl says, this is just crazy, and if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Wagner 620 I sent out a tweet yesterday. It's got a link to the video. And, and what you see is a Major League Pier 6, like I say, brawl that is broken out at Mayfair. Now, there's two points about this. This is, of course, not the first time that Mayfair has had dramatic problems with out-of-control patrons. Matter of fact, it is an ongoing story at Mayfair. Sometimes this results in fights and mini riots. Other times the problems involve, for example, in shootings. You know you have the story from a couple weeks ago involving, I believe, the seventeen year old who had the gun gets tossed out, the Wabatosa police um end up getting into an interaction and and shoot end up having to shoot the seventeen year old who's armed at, at Mayfair. So you have one problem after another after another after we talked about this yesterday had a number of emails from people who were at the shopping center during the course of the day and the the general consensus was as the afternoon wears on was wearing on on Saturday. It just it became an increasingly more dangerous situation because apparently, even though the mall says it has a policy that it does not allow unescorted juveniles in after like three o'clock on weekends, they don't enforce it. They just don't enforce it. And as a result of what happens, you have so many kids that get in there. The security guards then become overwhelmed. They're in a position where they can't really deal with this. So that's that's number one. I mean, if you're going to have this policy, you don't enforce it. What's the Why have a policy if you're not going to enforce it? But number two, and I guess this is one of the more stunning things to me, you look at what happened on Saturday night and you tell me how in the world it can result in only three people receiving disorderly conduct charges and then those three people being turned over to their parents. I mean, look, really, you, you, you're, if you're at a point where you got to use pepper spray, where people are taking walkie-talkies physically from security guards, where people are fighting with each other and fighting the police, what should happen is you should be making mass arrests. And it, then it shouldn't be a situation, well, here, here's a disorderly conduct citation. That's something you get for, you know, saying bad words on the, on the sidewalk. What you should do is you should be being taken away in handcuffs, arrested and charged. And unless Mayfair security, and look, I, I, I hate to rip on Mayfair security because I want to, I want to see this mall thrive. But unless Mayfair security and the Wawatosa police get a handle on this, and by handle I mean, we're just going to have a zero-tolerance policy for this. We're not going to allow unaccompanied minors in. If they come in, whether it's minors or adults, they misbehave, all right, we're, we're going to start making arrests. And if that means you get certain people in the community upset with you because you're arresting this type of person or that type of person, who cares? I mean, seriously, who cares? Because if you do not get a handle on what is going on there, you are going to see Mayfair become Northridge. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. Now, over the I look, I, I'm not a shopper. Over the Christmas break, I, I think I was at Mayfair twice with my wife. I was there early in the day. I did not feel da- I did not feel that it was dangerous or anything like that. But I get the sense that between the movie theater and the stuff that goes on, especially on weekends, as the day wears on, the crowd changes dramatically, and it's a problem, and it's something that, whether it's the cops, the security people, the management at Mayfair, or whoever, people need to step up and realize that this is a fragile situation. And unless they get a handle on it, what's going to happen is people are going to simply make the decision, like they did with Northridge, that they're not going to be, they're not going to feel comfortable shopping there. Okay. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I think this is really perhaps more so now than ever in the past. This is a crucial time for Mayfair. You got Boston store that's gone. You've got Sears that's gone. So you don't have these big anchored apartment stores. You've got the challenges that are presented by all the internet shopping that's out there. They got to get a handle on this. Because if people do not feel safe, they are not going to come to that mall. And if they don't come to the mall, we know what happens. 855 616 1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mayfair shoppers, how concerned are you about the ongoing escalating out of control violence and apparently the lack of accountability that the people who are engaging in the violence are held to we discuss in a moment this is jeff wagner
0: welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj
1: 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line let's start with john in brookfield john good afternoon Hello, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. During the break, I was just watching the video of that, that fight again, the, the riot, the yep. brawl. It's unbelievable to me that this could be going on at a shopping center around here.
2: Unfortunately, it's it's what's become accepted. Um, I I really am afraid that law enforcement is frightened to take a stand because they're going to get called out by the uh the new Black Panther movement. Mm -hmm. You're going to get called out by the social interest uh, argumenters. Uh, You're going to get called out by the special interest groups that are disturbed that their militant children are acting poorly. Um, There was a standard at one time. You know, it it goes back to the time when you were afraid to drive through Walatosa uh, five miles over the speed limit.
0: Yeah.
2: It, It goes back to a point in time when people were not afraid to pull people over for doing the wrong thing, and if you were doing the wrong thing, you were pulled over—black, white, purple—it did not matter. You were called out on it. Right. The incidents at Waupaca are, are are taking a different form because they're closer to to, to to Milwaukee's urban area. You know, it's it's a place to go in winter, and you know, right? People well, want to go to a place in winter.
1: Well, right, and, and look, and and I understand. I mean, look, look, kids. Kids, a mall is a place to go hang out. Okay, when I was a teenager, we hung out at Northridge, so I understand that. But but at the same time, back when I was a kid, we weren't tearing. You know, we we weren't getting into big time fights, and you know, and tearing up the mall. People knew how to behave, and I guess that's not the case anymore.
2: Well, it isn't, and you know, when when you see the general behavior there, you go to a movie, you see it. At the movies in Brookfield, you see it anywhere you go. Um, there is no social standard anymore. You know, at one point, society dictated this is how this is a proper way to behave. Right. It's not okay to do this. Right. And and now you you you've got the most base level of individual dictating what pu- public decorum should be. Well, right.
1: No, thank, um, no, you're, no. Thanks to the call, John. You're 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 right. And of course, and, and okay. So last Saturday, it was a fight involving thirty five people. Uh, you know, a couple weeks earlier, it's a 17 year old kid that apparently brings a gun into the, the shopping mall. And, I mean, here's, here's the problem. Look, I understand that you don't want to treat, you know, shopping malls like they're, they're lockdown camps. But if, if you're going to have these rules, and the rules to me make sense, you've got to enforce the rules. I mean, my question is, when you look at some of these videotapes, you know, what are, what are these kids doing in the mall at 730 in large groups because correctly, they know that this is what caused they, – by they, I mean the, the mall security people, the mall owners, they know that this is a problem area. And if, you, if you're going to have the rule, you got to enforce it. And then you have to, at least in my opinion, be aggressive when people come in and they get into the fights. It's like, look, this isn't like we're going to separate you and, and give you a um, ticket for disorderly conduct. It's, hey, if you assaulted a mall security person, well, okay, then, then we're going to charge you. And, yeah, if you're 17 years old, maybe that means we're going to charge you as a felony. Now, okay, I, I understand maybe John Chisholm's district attorney's office doesn't care if Wauwatosa police get punched out or, you know, whether security guards get punched out. But you have to make a statement. Jeff, my parents have lived in that area for 40 years. They always saw Mayfair as a positive until about five years ago. Now they try to avoid it and refuse to go there in the evening. If they want to see a movie, they'll drive 20 miles to avoid Mayfair, which is only about a mile away from you know, their home. And I understand some people see this as, and I'm getting a number of texts, some people see this as predominantly along racial lines. I, I don't care about that, all right? To, to me, I, I don't care who the out-of-control kids are, and my guess is they have problems with out-of-control kids of all races. That's, to me, you know, what what you need to control. But the truth of the matter is you have to have a consistent policy with regard to that. And if the policy is going to be no unaccompanied minor, Well, then it's got to be no unaccompanied minors, and it can't be, okay, we're going to pick out this group of unaccompanied minors because we think that they're going to be, you know, troublemakers or whatever. Some people are saying, yeah, you can arrest them, Jeff, but they don't care about having a criminal record. Oh, Okay, all all right, maybe that's the case, but it's like – you know, yesterday when we were talking about the, the raids they had on the inner city drug houses and stuff, and somebody said, well, okay, Wagner, what's, what's your solution? You know, what, what's your solution to, um, you know, the, the the gang activity? And my response was simple. It was like long prison sentences. Well, all right, may, maybe what we need to do is we need to have a recognition that if you're going to go into public areas and you're going to go into shopping centers and you're going to fight with the police, you're going to fight with the security people, you're going to, you know, destroy other people's property. Well, okay, may, maybe you should have a little bit of fear of the criminal justice system. A couple texts making this point. Jeff, yeah, failure to address the issues that exist at Mayfair and Bayshore will leave these facilities with the same fate as as Northridge, and and that's true. These places are all fragile. That's just the reality. I mean, again, whenever I drive past Northridge, I just I I think of what a thriving place that that was when I was growing up in the '80s, and now it's just a moonscape. All right, if you don't think that can happen to other shopping places and other shopping centers, you're, you're, you're badly mistaken, and all that needs to happen is you get this perception that's out there, and in the case of Mayfair, the perception that's backed by a little bit of reality, that hey, it's dangerous to go there at certain times. Who wants to go in and try to go shopping when you're afraid that you're going to have your purse snatched or that you're gonna run into the middle of a fight if you're there with your kids and you stop at the food court to grab something to eat, Last thing you want to be is in the middle of a brawl between a bunch of out-of-control kids. Or, with the example of the kid who brought the gun there the other day, who, who wants to be in the middle of that? Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ.
3: Hi there. Hi, Mike. I just want to relate an incident that happened to me at Mayfair, and it goes back to what you're talking about. They need to do something to these kids instead of slapping them on the wrist. I was at Barnes & Noble, and a young boy, about 10, 11 years old, was trying to pick me. I'm watching him as he's trying and failing, and his dad is two aisles over coaching him. So then he left me, and he went over to another gentleman, and he was able to grab his wallet from his back pocket. I went over and grabbed his wrist as he was pulling it out of his pocket and started yelling for security. So they came, took the boy, asked me to come to the statement. Palatosa police came, and they said, well, we're going to release him. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, he's a juvenile. All we're going to do is slap him on the wrist. Huh. Dad is with him. Dad's teaching him, and Dad's hoping he gets to your wallet so he can get the goods, because Dad would go to jail. The kid right. doesn't. And they said, we'll go ban him from the mall for a year. I just kind of laughed like, oh, yeah. Yeah, like he's going to really care about right. the ban. So unless they do something where it hurts the kids or yep. hurts the parents, It's going to continue because there's no reason for them not to do it.
1: Yeah, we're, we're, going to, we're going to ban him from the mall, so he and Dad are going to go across the street to the Best Buy or whatever, and they're going to see if they can pickpocket people there. Now, thanks. I mean, th- th- this, okay, this needs to be a wake-up call. Look, I like the Wauwatosa police chief, all right? But th- this needs to be a wake-up call. And I understand if you've got these juveniles that are perpetrating crimes, if you don't think this is going to kill Mayfair, you need to get your head out of a certain part of your anatomy. Jeff, I was at Macy's last week, middle of the day, Three young boys almost tackled me racing out of the mall. Six squad cars descended on them. The boys had bags and clothes and merchandise flying as they were running through the parking lot. It was scary. That's from Roberta. My sense is the stuff that we hear about is probably only the tip of the iceberg. And so, again, I want to see Mayfair succeed. But if they don't get a handle on the problem, that's not going to happen. Word to the wise.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: There is a federal jury trial going on now. I do not know how it will ultimately turn out as far as damages, but I have to tell you, if this happened to me or to you, I understand why the person would be outraged and candidly... I think the Milwaukee police have some explaining to do. Now, this goes back nine years. So we were talking about the the regime of, of Ed Flynn and things of the like. Here is the deal. It's in the middle of the afternoon, oh, 4.45 p.m. There's a guy, November, nine years ago. He's driving. His name is Jimmy Harris. He's driving a 1999 Chrysler Sebring. And he's driving on North Avenue about 4.45 p.m. He's with his fiance and I believe a couple of her kids that are in the car. They're driving on the bridge over the Milwaukee River on North Avenue, if you can picture that area. There's a Milwaukee police officer who follows him. Now, the police officer, later on, he said, well, I, I noticed him starting to swerve out of his lane. But the real reason I pulled him over is when I ran the license... With the DMV, as I was following him, the license said that this car, the 1999 Chrysler Sebring, whose license was current. So, I mean, it's got valid plates, got valid stickers, everything. It says the 1999 Chrysler Sebring was gray. All right? You know, because you have to, on your DMV thing, you put the color of the car. It was gray. The police officer says... I thought it was black. It looks black to me, even though it's gray. They pull this guy over, based on the fact that the color is supposedly different. So the guy gets out of the car. Okay, he, 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 he's told he's got to get out of the car, and the the man, his name is Jimmy Harris. He's had soldier, shoulder surgery a couple weeks ago. He says, okay, he gets out, and he says, look, here here's the deal. This this happens. The car is gray. And the police officer says, it's black. He says, it's gray. It's like, it's like a a pearl gray. He said, it, maybe it looks black to you, but it's gray. It's my car. And and here, here's my identification. This is who I am. It's registered to me. And, And the officer says, it's black. Next thing you know, this escalates. You've got the, the police officer decides to go pat down the man who's guess like he had rotator cuff surgery about 10 days before this incident and then apparently the his his shoulder ends up getting hurt as they're trying to decide they're going to handcuff him you know because he's kind of struggling a little bit next thing you know you have six police officers that are on the scene the first two minutes of this incident are on a dashboard camera even though they don't have the microphone turned on the uh fiancee who's in the front seat of the car she's saying that you know that the police officer is like looking in saying okay we think this is a stolen car you know it's been repainted And, and it's all because of gray versus black so bottom line of all this is number of police officers arrive they end up arresting the driver of the car Taken him in. He, he's ultimately not charged. He's now. Now this was nine years ago. He's filed a civil lawsuit, and the matter is is being decided by it, again. It's it's a jury trial that started either. I think it started yesterday. It might have started today. But but it's all over. A stop based on the color of the car. Now it turns out that police are not legally allowed to stop a car based on the a, a color mismatch that, that's apparently not a reasonable suspicion to stop the, the car but the Milwaukee police weren't trained on that so that's that's the issue there the city is fighting this and I think they're fighting it based on you know what the nature and extent of the guy's injuries were and was it caused and was taken into custody but but the the thing that precipitated this whole thing was this pull over the guy the driver being pulled over because the police officer thinks the car is black and it comes back registered as gray our number is 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line now on this program i i repeatedly hear from people about how oh you, you've got this pro-police bias and, and i think i do I don't apologize for that. I appreciate what a difficult job it is to be a police officer, and it comes from the years and years I spent as a prosecutor. I don't understand how hard that job is, okay? But I have to tell you, when I read stories like this, and I hear a car being stopped... Because essentially you have a police officer that decided it comes back, the DMV has it registered as gray, and it looks black to me, so I am going to pull it over. This sounds to me, for all the world, like... Well, one of those sort of, what's the word they use? A pretextual stop. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I take no position on, you know, did the officers use excessive force when they were, you know, deciding that they were going to try to pat him down or take him into custody or anything like that. I'm just saying. If if I get pulled over by a police officer and I go back and I say, officer, what did I do? Was I, I wasn't speeding. No, you weren't speeding. My license plates are current. Yes, your license plates are current. My taillight wasn't out. Why are you pulling me over? Well, I'm pulling you over because the DMV says your car is gray and it looks black to me. I'm going to think, what's going on here? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident mortgage talk and text line. I'm sorry. I'm not buying the police officer's explanation. I, I'm just, in this particular case, I'm not. No position on what should happen in the lawsuit and what the guy's injuries were, but to try to pull somebody over because, in this case, it looks black to you, and the DMV says the car is gray. Huh. All right. Let's start with Joe in West Dallas. Joe, you're on WTMJ. <laughs>
3: um yeah i, I you know there's a lot of instances like but we always back up our police officers when they
2: you know, initiate a stop with a suspicion um they stop people for a lot
3: less than um wrong color so no oh, yeah they even stop and forth
1: well, <laughs> I, color. well uh, for another topic. well i mean yeah i guess i mean thanks i mean see, I, look i i there are rules okay and and i mean if if there's you know you you can't just, and you shouldn't just pull people over. Now, in this particular instance, the, the, the man who was stopped is African American, but they weren't able to, they're not making a claim in this case that it was racial profiling or something like that because they don't have evidence to support it. The, the justification is suppose, supposedly that it was one color versus another color. And maybe, I will tell you, maybe I would feel differently about this if the car came back hey, it's registered as white, but, you know, it, it's black. Okay, all right. Maybe that's an indication, hey, is this car stolen? Has it been repainted? It's something. But, and again, the the law doesn't allow you to do that. It's my understanding in the first place. But, but regardless, again, as I started with this conversation, when, my wife and I talk about the color of my car. She sees a blue. I see a gray. I think it's registered as gray. I, I'm just thinking, am I going to get pulled over from the police because somebody's going to look at that and say, well, it says it's gray, but it's it's it looks to me like it's a deep blue. Uh, let's talk to Bill in Oak Creek. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Bill.
3: Hi, how are you doing?
1: Real well, thank you.
3: I was, yeah, good. As I was stating, even if the color would have been wrong and had the owner maybe painted his car and and in worst case scenario, you know, change it from the black to white or, you know, like whatever you're saying, black to gray right. or whatever, um, you know, the worst case, maybe the police officer would have written a ticket for goofy registration or whatever. And he didn't get down to updated through the DMV yet. Right. Right. But my problem with this is when the officer looked at the VIN number and it came back correct, the numbers would have been correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, there was no no thanks. No, see that to me to me that's the end of this conversation. And again, I, I don't I, I don't know if it was excessive force used. I will let a jury decide on that. But but this whole thing was something that if you had a police officer in this particular case, at least in my opinion, that would have exercised the judgment that God gave a goose, this situation would not have happened. And I bring this up because I am pro-police. But when officers do things like this, whether it's a power trip or whatever, what they do is they send a message to other people that, hey, we're going to pull you over for no reason at all. Right. First of all, again, you're not. Le- they don't. They apparently weren't trained. That you're not. It's not a legal basis. The fact that there's a color difference um, in the car. But but even so, you make the you make the stop. You get out. You say, hey, can I see your license and registration? And it turns out that the guy produces his license and registration, and it matches. Okay, this is the car, whether it's a gray or a black 1999 Chrysler Sebring, the license is current, the tags are current, and the car doesn't come back stolen, and you are the registered owner. At that point in time, isn't it just, okay, we're, enough is enough, we're, we're moving on. Why do you need to escalate something? And, and it does sound like the guy kinda copped a little bit of an attitude, which you should not do with the police, but, You know, when we talk about police community relations, and I'm one of these guys that says, particularly in high crime areas, I want to have a whole police presence. I I believe, you know, in, uh, again, one of these broken windows sort of things where, you know, you, you investigate the small stuff because the small stuff leads to the bigger stuff. but. They pulled him over because the cop thought it was black and it was really gray. And now you're looking at a major lawsuit. And do not be surprised if this results in at least the awarding of some cash to the guy who apparently ends up getting his shoulder um, more injured simply because he was driving a gray car and the police officer thought it was black. We'll see what happens. This will probably go to the jury. My guess would be tomorrow or something. We'll have the verdict sometime later this week. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff, what do you mean when you say pretextual stop? A pretextual stop is one where the officer is stopping a car and giving a reason but it's not really the reason why they're stopping the car that's the best way I can explain I I think there's some suspicious activity going on in that car I want to see what's going on so I'm going to try to find an excuse to stop the car you know maybe in other circumstances for example if you saw the tail light out you wouldn't pull over the car because the tail light was out but the tail lights out, and you're looking, and you think, hey, there's something. My instincts, my police instincts, my police radar tells me there's something funny going on here. Uh, maybe, I don't know, the car's driving too slow in the neighborhood. Maybe it's driving too fast. Maybe I, I don't know why it's on the street at 3 o'clock in the morning in this neighborhood, whatever. So you try to find a reason, a pretext for stopping the vehicle. Oh, the light is out. All right, so, I mean, that's going to be the justification. But like I say, it's not the reason. Real reason. It it might be what gives you the legal basis to do it, but. A lot of times, if you don't have your radar going off and having this other suspicion, you, you wouldn't pull over every car you see with a tail light out. That's what I mean by, for example, pretextual. All right. The uh, breaking news story today is that, again, it's the latest with the coronavirus. It's a rout on the stock market once again. Yesterday, after a horrible, horrible week, the Dow Jones Industrial spiked over 1,200 points up. Um, today... Uh, despite the fact that the Federal Reserve made a dramatic half point cut in interest rates, that, that didn't work. And the Dow is now down 771. So, um, so the big losses on the Dow, not giving back everything, at least thus far, but we still got another two hours that the stock market is open. And again, it's all on these fears and the panic that's encircling the coronavirus. And the thing about this is, and I, I understand you cannot turn on the television. Without hearing story after story about the coronavirus, and some people are completely freaked out, and some people are just saying there's no big deal. I, I think the thing, the reality is, we-, we just don't know what this what this is and what this is going to amount to. I mean, the reality is, most people, even if you contract this coronavirus, you know, most people, it's going to be like if you get the flu. You're, you're, you're going to be sick for a couple days, and then, then you're going to get better. If... And for example the the two deaths in washington state they they were in uh they were in a senior living place i mean there was it was a nursing home, so you had people who you know had all sorts of other health issues and just like if you 've got somebody that's got health issues um, an older person that that gets the flu, that could turn out to be fatal you know that's you get pneumonia. Well, most people, you get pneumonia, you're going to be sick for a little bit of time, and and you're going to get better. The coronavirus, if it hits certain people, well, yeah, it's got a chance that there could be some fatalities. And again, I'm not trying to downplay that. At the same time, I'm not in one of these sort of panic modes about it yet, because at the end of the day, I I think as has happened with other viruses that we've had over the course, particularly the last 20 or 30 years, we we tend to get a handle on it. it. It ends up... They either develop a vaccine for it. Then, of course, as with the flu shot, we develop a vaccine and people don't take it. But they either develop a a degree of herd immunity or you have a a vaccine and, and we end up getting, you know, dealing with it. And that's kind of my guess. What I can't tell you is how much of an issue it is going to be in the economy and what it's going to do to travel and what it's going to do to manufacturing before we get a handle on it. Interesting development. Somebody was asking me yesterday, are you reluctant to travel? And my answer is no. I mean I, I I'm not I am I gonna to go to China? No, but on the other hand, I mean, I went to Las Vegas last weekend. Uh, I've, three months from now, I have a trip. We're going to go to Disney World with my brother and my niece and nephew. We're taking them down there, and I, I guess at least this point in time, do I have any thought of canceling my trip to Disney World? Of course not. We're going to be doing a listener trip to Disney. Uh, to, uh, Paris and Normandy in September, it wouldn't occur to me at this point in time to even think about, you know, canceling that. Now, maybe if you have, you know, this coronavirus that's just all over the world by September, maybe I'd have a different thought. But right now, no degree of panic. But it is interesting to see how things are changing. For example, down in Chicago, McCormick Place, which is the big convention center down there, um, the Chicago housewares trade show which is one of the the bigger trade shows in the country it's scheduled to um, it's scheduled to draw about sixty thousand people um, was scheduled for what is it? I guess a week and a half from now, March 14th to the 17th. They expected it was going to draw 2,200 exhibitors from 45 countries, 60,000 people. And it, it's a trade only event. So you have to be in the housewares industry. But this is a big deal. Um, McCormick Place announced today that they're canceling it. Because, again, you've got people coming from all these different countries. So in this particular case, I mean, you do have the coronavirus having an impact, in this case on on a big trade show, that they now end up being canceled. As far as individuals, you know, should you not go to Chicago? I I think that would be an extreme. Should you not go to Disney World? Should you not go to Las Vegas? I, I think that's extreme right now. But we don't know how bad this is going to be. When we come back, all right. The Me Too movement claims another person. Is this unfair? The local media goes after a conservative Supreme Court justice and paid sick leave. Should it be mandatory? Stick around.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's
1: Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I don't know what happened in that hotel room back in 1983, but I have to tell you, I think whatever happened in the hotel room, I think the person who's now being accused of wrongdoing, I think... Think he is getting Rogered big time, and we we need to at least have some accepted standards as to how we're going to handle ancient sort of complaints. Here's the story: Eric Bill said, "You know who Timothy Hutton is? Yeah, actor. Timothy Hutton is an actor. Probably he he's sixty years old, or he's going to be sixty this year. He he's probably best known his first movie role. He played the son in the movie Ordinary People." Back in 1980, mm-hmm. with Mary Tyler Moore, yeah, and I think yeah, Donald, he won an Academy Award. Won sadly. an Academy Award for his his first, you know, major performance. Um, he was in a, a handful of movies in the in the mid 1980s. He did um, movie with Tom Cruise, I think, called Ice Man. Something, but he did a series of movies. Q and A was one of them, and his career kind of. Eh, kind of started to hit the skids in the mid nineteen eighties, but since then he's been doing an occasional movie. But he's also been doing like episodic TV, and he is is the star of the Fox TV series Almost Family. Have you ever seen Almost no, Family? I no, I haven't sure. either. That, as a matter of fact, it doesn't even sound appealing. <laughs> the, the premise the premise is, and Timothy Hutton is the star, is that he's a guy who was I, I think one one of these like doctors who would collect people's sperm and he um he used his own this is the premise of the T V show. He used his own sperm to impregnate hundreds of women. So now you've got all these women who are finding out that he's their biological father. That that's the what in the I Boy, it must be a hilarious show. Uh, well, yeah, I just, I, I mean, it's just, okay, so that's the premise of the show. Now, so well, okay, episode. well, right, well, it, it ran one year. Now, I bring this up because the show was canceled yesterday. Now, it doesn't sound like it's a very good show to me to go to bat for, but that does, that's not the reason why the show w- was canceled. The show was canceled because apparently a woman has now gone public with accusations that Timothy Hutton, and a friend of his sexually assaulted her in a hotel room in Vancouver in 1983 so here here's the the story he was apparently in 1983 he's in Vancouver make he's 23 or 24 years old he, he's making a movie all right uh, her this woman her story and I'll, I'll tell you how this comes out in just a minute but her story is she was 14 years old at the time she was hanging around on the movie set um, she wanted to kind of break into acting or whatever and Hutton and one of his friends took her and two of her friends back to their hotel room and her story is they, they had forcible sex with me okay that that's that's the story and she goes into some graphic detail and it it's very very You know, her story is very, very creepy. And if he did it, the guy ends up, you know, he's he's kind of a monster. But it's 1983. Now, what happens is she doesn't say anything at all about this at the time it happens. She doesn't say anything about it in 1993. She doesn't say anything about it in 2003. She doesn't say anything about it in 2013. In 2017... Apparently, what happened is she hires a lawyer and the lawyer reaches out to Timothy Hutton and says, there's this lady who says that 34 years ago, you sexually assaulted her in this hotel room and she wants money or else she's going to go public. And apparently, the you know it, it they they deny any of this. She wants millions of dollars. He refuses to pay. Ultimately, they settle on he's going to pay a hundred thousand dollars or something to make this allegation go away. But then she backs off. She wants more money. He says I am not paying you any more money. Period. She then last year, late last year, goes to the police in Vancouver and says. He, he sexually assaulted me when I was 14 back in 1983. And at this point in time, the police haven't done anything about it. But she has now gone public with her allegations. And um, yesterday, Fox cancels the guy's TV show within, again, 24 hours of this rape accusation being published by you know BuzzFeed News. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I I have, again, I don't know what went on between these two people in this hotel, or actually there was a third person involved as well. The the other interesting detail is apparently a year ago, the woman's ex-boyfriend tries to go and extort money out of Timothy Hutton's friend, who was supposedly in the room while all this happened. So the ex-boyfriend reaches out. He's trying to get money, too. That ends up going nowhere. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I don't know Timothy Hutton from Adam. If If he sexually assaulted this girl when he was 24 and he was 14 and she was 14, I mean, it's not a sympathetic sort of figure. But... right, how do we judge allegations from, you know, going on, you know, 35, 38 years ago? And, you know, is this the basis of, again, maybe the show had lousy ratings. I don't know. I've never seen it. Maybe it was going to be canceled on its own. But, you know, here you have somebody who's 60. This supposedly, he supposedly did this when he was 24. There's been no... Apparently no repeat contact. This isn't like a Bill Cosby situation, but this is somebody who a year or two ago comes out of the clear blue and says he did this to me when I was 14 in Vancouver in 1983. And is it fair to him under these circumstances to say, OK, well, we're going to essentially assume that you are, in fact, a rapist. And, and here we're going to go after you know your career based on this stuff that somebody says you did 35 years ago. Is there a statute of limitations on bad behavior, and are the allegations alone, you know, a- enough to I don't know derail somebody's career? And my answer would be: if this is the standard nowadays, it, it's it's very very scary because how do how do you prove your your innocence? How, how do you prove somebody's guilt? I mean, it, it's something that supposedly happened in 1983. He says it's a damnable lie. She says it, it ended up happening. She wanted money. 855-616-1620. That's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. No love lost for Timothy Hutton one way or the other. But... Can you just wait decades and decades and then come forward and claim the most abysmal behavior possible and end up derailing somebody's career? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be there's got to be some standard for for judging this. And we, we can't try people, whether it's men or women, you can't we we can't try them for stuff that allegedly occurred forty years ago with no corroboration, no criminal charges, and none of the like. I just don't think it's fair, and I'm certainly not going to stand up if Timothy Hutton sexually assaulted this woman thirty-seven years ago. I'm certainly not going to stand up and defend him. But would we ever? Will we ever be able to determine the truth? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on
1: WTMJ. Timothy Hutton's longest, he's, he's worked in, in episodic TV, you know, quite a bit. Um, his longest running TV show was a show back in 2008, ran for four years called Leverage, um, which a number of people are saying that was pretty good. I, I, I never saw that, but that ran from 2008 to 2012. But but the bottom line of all this is, is you have a guy who's accused of doing something horrific, but but he's accused of doing it, in 1983, and the woman who says he sexually assaulted her has no evidence of of that. Um, she's come forward two years ago with a lawyer demanding a big money payoff from the guy. Her ex-boyfriend has tried to shake down Timothy Hutton's friend or whoever was supposedly in the room at the time. That's gone nowhere. But now, you know, hours after the rape allegation becomes public yesterday, Fox bails on the TV show. And again, I don't care whether they cover, whether they run this this almost family show or not. Who, who cares about that? But the idea is... Is is this allegation, an allegation alone, a terrible allegation, but something from 30-some years ago, is that sufficient to ruin somebody's career? Let me share some text with you. Um, Jeff, um, as men, everyone, every male should worry about this because all it takes is one person to say 40 years ago, you did something with no proof and your life can be ruined. Heaven help everybody. Jeff, two words for you. Umbrella policy. She just figured out that he had a million-dollar umbrella policy that would be an insurance policy and somebody told her how to profit from it. Here's Jeff and Fox Point who texts Jeff. The BS meter is in the red. I think this sounds like extortion. Fox should know he's innocent until proven guilty. Unless others come forward, the case should be dismissed. Uh, Jeff, my take is she lost her credibility when she wanted money or was going to go public. Well, I mean, that's it. Jeff, unbelievable. What happened to the statute of limitations? Well, that's you know, even if the lawsuits, and, and again, it because she was a juvenile when this thing allegedly happened, the, the law, it's different in different jurisdictions as to what the criminal statute of limitations would be. And I don't know what it would be in, in Canada with this. But but again, um, the texture continues, it sounds like a scam to get money. Um, Jeff, uh, dot, 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 dot. dot uh, well, you get the idea. It continues on. And I guess here's the concern I have about this. Is, and this is not a situation in any way, shape, or form of tolerating bad behavior. And I have no doubt that, you know, the Harvey Weinsteins in the world, I i have no doubt that there's a lot of people, powerful men in particular, in this case, I don't know if Timothy Hutton was a powerful guy, but you've got in the movie stars, and I I have no doubt that there was – and probably still is this sort of sense of entitlements that some of these people have. And I have no doubt about it that there was, you know, lots of, lots of women who were mistreated by people over the years. No doubt about that a- at all. But it is one of these things where you say, okay, it's 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 almost four decades ago. The guy is almost going to be 60 years old in August. This is something that supposedly if it happened, it happened when he was 24. There's no contemporaneous evidence about all this. The mere allegation alone is enough to destroy your career. That's, that is the scary thing because, uh, again, Especially with these people who have high public profile you, you are you are vulnerable now you, you look at a case like a Bill Cosby, for example, or a Harvey Weinstein, where there 's you know countless women that are out there all telling the same sort of story that 's fine. This story apparently has been around for a couple of years before it 's gone public. And it's not like people are saying, oh, this is what Timothy Hutton used to really do on movie sets. He'd find 15 year old girls to take back to his hotel room and sexually assault that, that there doesn't appear to be that. And again, if he did it, I've got no sympathy for him at all. I'm just sitting there thinking it's 30 plus, you know, going on 40 years old. What, how, how do you clear your name from an allegation like this? And the answer is you, you don't. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. And then, as long as we're talking about the Me Too movement, there is crazy Chris Matthews who is done with hardball. Um, and it, it's one of those situations. Now nobody is accusing Chris Matthews, who is 70 some years old. Nobody is accusing Chris Matthews of, of of sexual assault, like a Timothy Hutton thing. But here you have a guy who was clearly a dinosaur and clearly, at least in my mind, did not understand, you know, changing the, the way the times have changed. Now, I, I'm not saying that, you know, the, the, the folks the, in the newsrooms and the glass ceiling and the way people treated women 20 or 30 years ago and the things that people said in the workplace, I'm not saying that that was ever appropriate, but to the extent that it was at least condoned well, okay, it, it might have been condoned in 1999, not condoned in 2019 or 2020. Chris Matthews, who is, of course, a walking blooper reel, he's the guy that when Barack Obama was giving the speech, he talked about how he had tingles going up and down his his, his leg. Um, he's the one who apparently um, was getting ready for an interview with Hillary Clinton, and he said, where is that Bill Cosby pill I brought with me? Um. Okay, he's the one that in 2016 he was watching uh, Melania Trump walk down the runway, and apparently he said, "Did you see her walk? Runway walk? My God, that's good." <laughs> you know, this, so I mean, th- th- this is, and again, I'm not saying that that was ever appropriate, but if you could do something like that in 1985, you sure as heck can't do that in 2016. And and Matthews, he he never got it. What what apparently really brought him down is in 2016 he he would apparently unsubtly flirt with you know a lot of the commentators who were getting ready to come on the the air he didn't i don't think he's he's accused of grabbing him or sexually assaulting with him but but he would make sexual remarks he would be flirting with these young women who, you know, first of all, Chris Matthews, you are invisible to these young women. There is a certain point in life where men are just invisible to young women, and, and this idea that you're making inappropriate remarks, and you're trying to flirt, and you think you're trying to be clever, just knock it off. It, it's I don't know where you think it's going to go, but it's all it is is creepy, and, and that's what was happening, and there's apparently a number of commentators, female commentators, who are saying, yeah, this is the modus operandi. It's not like he grabbed us or anything, but he would comment on our appearance and he would talk about the way they were doing our makeup and things like that. It was just sort of like a creepy old guy. You couple that with his on-air gaffes that he kept you know, making, and I, I think what happened is it wasn't any one thing in particular. It was more like this collective feeling at, at NBC and MSNBC that the guy was that the guy was a walking time bomb, and you never knew what he was going to say, and that, you know, he kept having to apologize for this or that or the other. And I think the fear with Chris Matthews was, all right, pretty soon, you know, we we haven't been able to rein him in. The guy has no filter. He doesn't realize that it's not 1983 or 1977 anymore. And, and again, I'm not arguing it was present appropriate in 77, but there might have been things you could do in a workplace in 1977 that you can't do in 2020, and Matthews never got it, so they blew him out What um, yesterday just saying, okay, enough is enough, but this is, at least in that case, Matthews is a guy who was warned. There's an ongoing pattern. There's lots of people who were saying this is what the guy did, and I think, again, MSNBC was just trying to be proactive here, saying we we recognize it's probably not going to get better, and we, we better act now before he does something that we're not going to be able to walk back from with an apology so you know Chris Matthews regardless of whether you loved him or hated him he he had a long career you know going back to you know he he worked for Tip O'Neill he was the chief of staff for Tip O'Neill during the 80s he was you know a speechwriter he worked for the Carter administration long career in politics doesn't end in the best way but it's probably best that it ended Jeff Wagner on WTMJ Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There is, in early April, the one race that is going to be on the ballot that everybody in Wisconsin can vote for. I guess you can vote in the presidential primary, too. But it is the state Supreme Court uh, race. Right now, the makeup of the court is there's five conservatives, there's two liberals. The left desperately wants to win this seat. Desperately, desperately, desperately. And the left thinks that they are going to be able to do it. The theory is that the liberal turnout is going to be huge because of the Democrat primary, whereas there's really, it's, you know, I mean, President Trump is running unopposed. So there's not going to be something that's going to be motivating Republicans to turn out the vote. So the left has a huge advantage for reasons that I have mentioned but in the past and we'll talk about as we get closer to the election. I, I don't think that conventional wisdom is correct, but the race is between Supreme Court Justice Daniel Kelly who is a been on the bench for 4 years he he's been a guest of mine in the past he's a solid really really smart conservative justice and he is being challenged by a, a Dane County circuit judge she's only been on the bench for a couple years but she is extremely extremely liberal. So this is setting up as the conservative versus liberal battle. Uh, Justice Kelly had more votes in the primary than the two liberal challengers, but I I, I can't tell you how it's going to turn out. It's all about, it is all about turnout. Well, okay, the Journal Sentinel decides to run a piece taking uh, their shot at Justice Kelly. And I guess... I'm really raising this question as to, you know, who, who which sides of the campaign are exploiting things. So here's how these stories break. Let me explain. This was a column by Dan Bison. Dan does a good enough job. What happens is people leak stories to him. What, what happens is you'll have somebody, in this case it's from uh, Justice Kelly's opponent, who sends him something and says, you should see this. And you should run a story. And then, you know, and, and this, this is just the way it works. And the newspaper columnist, this is going to be a great story and we're going to run with it. So that that's that's the way this happens. It's something that the opponent goes to the newspaper. They find a sympathetic columnist and or a reporter or whatever, and they get the story they want run. All right. So that's the background of this. All right. Here is the deal. Last Wednesday, you had the horrible, horrible Story involving the workplace shooting at Miller Brewing. Everybody knows about it. You had the disgruntled employee who came into the workplace, ended up killing himself and five other people. Horrible story. Um, It raises these frustrations that we all have about workplace shootings. And then, of course, In the immediate aftermath, you have a a lot of the usual suspects who take their various positions. You've got the folks who say, this is why we need to have gun control measures. Again, the the point is you'd sit there and say, okay, explain to me what gun control measure you want to have that you think would have stopped this workplace shooting. Um, Apparently, in this case, guy, no criminal record at all. Nothing sufficient to have triggered any sort of red flag laws. So this isn't regardless of how you feel about background checks or how you feel about, you know, red flag laws allowing you to intervene with people who have health problems, mental health problems. This wouldn't have been applicable in any of these cases. But that doesn't stop people from saying we we've got to have more gun control. Well, okay, maybe we need more gun control measures, but to exploit the shooting. And say, okay, we we need them because of the shooting when they would have done nothing to stop the shooting is where my frustrations occur. All right. So that's kind of the background. Wednesday, you have the shooting at Miller Park at Miller Park. I'm sorry, Miller Brewing. On Thursday, Justice Kelly had scheduled had a fundraiser scheduled. Now, follow me on this. You know, if you're running for office. You gotta raise money to buy the radio ads and to buy the TV ads, and this—it's something that you just have to do. There was a fundraiser that was being sponsored by the Waukesha County Republican Party. You know, here's apparently what it said: "Please uh, tonight, please help return Justice Dan Kelly to the state supreme court by attending a fundraiser in his honor." at the Wisconsin Firearms Training Center in Brookfield. Okay? So it's it's a f- fundraiser that was going to be held at a shooting range. And this was a day after the the tragedy at Miller. And then apparently they had, you know, if you were going to be a host there were, you know, different levels that you could, you know, give, and they had used, like, references to different, okay, firearms, all right? Cost to attend was $100. Well, all right, the Journal Sentinel columnist thought this was tone-deaf and tasteless. The opponent, the liberal candidate judge in Dane County, jumps in saying, okay, this is this is terrible. We're, we're concerned about gun violence, and he's having this fundraiser at a firearms training center that's also a, a gun range, Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Okay, so the mainstream media spin on this is, oh, incredibly tasteless and tone deaf that a day after this workplace shooting, you go ahead and you have a fundraiser at a firearms training center that's also a gun range. Right now, the flip side is... The people on Justice Kelly's side say, no, it, it's actually it's the other side that's exploiting this. Why shouldn't we have a fundraiser at a firearms training center that doubles the gun range? What's the matter with with that? We're not endorsing a workplace shooting. Okay, our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the ACUNET Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I, I here's my question. I ask it rhetorically. All right, if there if there is a workplace shooting does that mean if you had, had planned to go to a shooting range, you know, you had a, I don't know, Thursday night, you had a trap shooting contest or Thursday night you were going with your friends to the gun range to shoot. Does that mean that you should have canceled that? If you were, I don't know, if this was during a, a, a gun hunting season, does it mean that you should have canceled that because there was a workplace shooting? I mean, is, is it really tone deaf Or is this, again, one of these sort of knee-jerk reactions? 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Should the justice have canceled this because it sends a wrong message? Or is that just trying to make, I don't know, an issue where none exists? 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
2: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit it's stories like this that make my head want to explode. Look, I, I understand Journal Sentinel columnist, he's trying to fill... Newspaper column. So somebody leaks this story. I don't even say leak. Opponent says, send, th- gives them the story. Here, run with it. And then, of course, it ends up getting picked up. Bottom line to me is, this is the ultimate much ado about nothing. I don't think Justice Dan Kelly has anything to apologize for. He should not apologize. And candidly, I think if you're looking for who's trying to exploit something, it's actually the the other side and their Useful allies in the media. All right. Kelly's got a fundraiser that is scheduled at a Waukesha gun range and, you know, like train gun firearm training session. It's scheduled for last Thursday. You have the Miller, the shooting at Miller Brewing on Wednesday. That is a terrible tragedy. But, okay, that means why in the world should you cancel this? event that you have at a shooting range it's not like you're endorsing going in and doing a workplace shooting and and news to i mean some people perhaps at the journal sentinel and news to people maybe in the karofsky campaign that's the opponent that you know they're there are there are firearms enthusiasts out there who aren't walking into businesses and shooting them up. And yes, here in Wisconsin, we have this thing called hunting, which is where lots of people you know go out at various times and they use firearms to hunt. And they go and they practice at shooting ranges. There are sportsmen's clubs all over where people who enjoy. They enjoy shooting firearms. They are not psychotic people who are going to go shoot up workplaces. You know, they go to gun ranges. They practice. They enjoy getting better. That's what they do. All right. And and this idea that, oh, my gosh, because there was this horrible workplace shooting and it was horrible that that means that, okay, the, everybody who's a sportsman has to suddenly feel guilty and put down their firearms. And heaven forbid that we should go to an event that's at, that's at a firearm range. I mean, give me a break. This is the kind of knee jerk stuff which candidly backfired on the liberal candidate in the last state Supreme Court election, and I think may very well backfire on the people who are trying to pull it here. Because as far as I'm concerned, there's no problem with this at all. He shouldn't have to apologize. Who cares, you know, whether he goes out and again goes to the firing range? Because... You know, candidly, I mean, people are allowed to legally own guns. And for anybody who interprets this as, oh, this is an endorsement of workplace shooting, you're the one that's got a problem. And we got a lot of text on this. Jeff, sad how the liberals exploit a tragedy. Justice Kelly's fundraiser had been planned before the shooting. There are thousands of responsible gun owners in Wisconsin. No, that text is wrong. There's hundreds of thousands of responsible gun owners in Wisconsin, does that mean that everybody has to? Because you have again this horrible criminal act. Does that mean that okay, well, we're we're going to cancel deer hunting for next year, or you know, you're not going to be able to shoot skeet or trap or whatever? No, Jeff. Um, it's almost the same article that came up when Leah Vukmir was running for office. They did the same thing with her in a column by the same columnist, uh, Jeff left is making an issue of a pre-planned event. Should we have canceled the car show because several people were killed by drunk and criminal drivers? Uh, Yeah, I think, you know, you've got that issue there as as well. And again, this got picked up by all the media, and some people think it's going to be this issue. And, oh, this is so incredibly politically tone-deaf. No, it's only tone-deaf. In the circles of the people who, well, I can't believe that there are actually sportsmen out there and there's actually legitimate gun owners and things like that. Now, you know, is it entirely possible that in the wake of certain tragedies that it may be appropriate to cancel fundraisers? Well, of course. But but if... If the sole argument is, well, this fundraiser was at a gun range and a firearms training center, and how dare anybody have a political fundraiser at one of these events? Because God forbid, law-abiding citizens, you know, might want to go and they might want to, you know, exercise their Second Amendment rights by, you know, engaging in, you know, uh, sport or whatever. How 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 terrible that could be. To which I would say, just just give me a break. And again, I I understand that there's some out there who think that this is going to be something that hurts Kelly, just like uh, some of the stuff that they ran against Brian Hagedorn when he was running for state Supreme Court. And, And what they found was, what it really did was it galvanized the support for people who you know, recognize that, you know, not every time the media and the opponents of a conservative want to turn it into a major issue, that a lot of times it's really not a major issue. Time will tell. And there might be all sorts of reasons why people decide not to vote for Justice Kelly. But this particular one, ah, gee, he went ahead with a fundraiser at a gun range. Heaven forbid, I don't think this is one that's going to hurt him at all, nor should it. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: 50's going to feel good, Melissa. 40 doesn't feel too bad for me, you know? 40's good. It, it is. You know, when we were in Las Vegas last weekend, uh, it was cool. I mean, it was in the 40s at night and it was in the 60s during the day, but it was. It was just fine. Well,
2: there seems to be a trend going on, I've noticed, is on the weekend, particularly Sunday, that seems to be the warmest day of the week so far. Last Sunday, I think it got up to 50, Sunday before, upper 40s, I believe. Bring it on.
1: And, you know, we're, we're in the beginning of March. And again, I'm I'm not naive. I've lived here most of my life, and I recognize that... We're still probably, I, we're going to have some snow, I would guess, between now and, you know, whenever. And, you know, we're probably going to have uh, another blast or two of cold air. But it's it's not going to be sub-zero. And even if you do get the cold air, it doesn't tend to last this long. And so
2: a, Yeah, and a reminder, next weekend, daylight saving time, that is very s- good. spring you didn't forward. You I did, I,
1: very, no, 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 very good. No, because, yeah. see, it took me... Oh, about fifteen years to, to learn that that it is daylight saving, saving time, time, not daylight savings time. And tr- it, it, trust me, if you say on the radio daylight savings time, immediately we will have all sorts of people who are, feel compelled to point out that it is. But you're right; it's it's it, that, that's is that coming up this weekend? That's coming
2: it? up this weekend. Yeah. So you'll lose an hour of sleep, but we'll gain some sunshine. Hopefully,
1: spring ahead, fall mm-hmm. back. Yeah, I'm I'm um I'm ready for that. And again, I people disagree with me on this. I would. I'm not one of these that really thinks, I think it, the system actually kind of works out decently, but I am one of these people that I, I like it to stay light later. I mean, that, and especially in the summer, I mm-hmm. love, I love those, 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 summer days in long in summer nights right yeah. right. you know in june june is my favorite i wish every month of the year could be june but it's you know when it, when it stays light till you know nine o'clock at night and things like that it just that's my favorite it's beautiful favorite yeah so, i love watching the sunsets in the summer they're great uh, it's just absolutely <laughs> spectacular okay we have got that established all right today is super tuesday and i i just as i was saying before the break i don't know that we're going to have a, a better idea tomorrow than we do today as to who the Democrat nominee is going to be. Bernie Sanders is certainly the front runner. He's kind of in the driver's seat. What you saw over the last couple of days is you have a, a number of Democrats who recognized, and, and I, I give Pete Buttigieg credit, I give Amy Klobuchar credit, I actually, I guess, I give Tom Steyer a little credit too. They recognized it, it wasn't their time. It wasn't going to be them. And so the longer they hung in, all they did was siphon votes away from a moderate alternative to, um, to Bernie Sanders, which in this case it's emerging as Joe Biden. So what they did is they appeared at a big rally last night. They threw, you know, their support, whatever that support might be, behind Joe Biden. So you you now have a a coalescing that's going on. You have the, the, you got the far left. That's supporting Bernie militantly. You've got Elizabeth Warren hanging on like grim death, uh, but you know, she siphons a few votes away from Sanders, but not many. You've got Joe Biden who's now emerged as the, the candidate of the the moderate the moderate wing of the Democrat Party, and you've got Mike Bloomberg who I, I just I don't know where his appeal is going to be. Presumably, I mean the conventional wisdom is he'll take support away from Joe Biden. But I, I don't think I could eat these words tomorrow, but I, I I don't think even with all the advertising, i just I don't think there's going to be a huge run to Mike Bloomberg. I I just, I I don't. I think that a lot of Democrats are going to be skeptical of him and the fact that he's a Republican in New York. I just, I, I, I don't see the Bloomberg train, you know, carrying on. But again, you know, could end up being wrong. But, you know, we'll have perhaps a better idea of what it's looking like tomorrow. But right now, it doesn't appear, regardless of what happens today, it doesn't appear that Bloomberg is willing, is planning to drop out and stop spending money, and it doesn't appear that Elizabeth Warren, despite the fact that she and Bernie Sanders are going after essentially the same voters, the same wing of the Democrat Party, um, and and that that Sanders is winning that. I mean, my gosh, I mean, you look at these primaries, it's one after another, and Elizabeth Warren, you know, she's, she's... She's running fourth. She's, she's running fifth. And, and it's not just New Hampshire, and it's not just Iowa, and it's not just Nevada. And then she was, like, nonexistent in South Carolina. The, you know, Elizabeth Warren, who was beloved, beloved by the liberal intelligentsia, Elizabeth Warren, who was endorsed by the New York Times, there was a period. Matter of fact, it still continues. I have never seen such glowing coverage in my life. The New York Times, which is, of course, the the newspaper of record, especially for the American left, fine, that's their business model. But it's if you read them, and I do so, you don't have to, it's one gushing story, and it's been this way for six months. It's one gushing story after another about Elizabeth Warren. Oh, she's the smartest person to ever run for office. Oh, she's got all these plans, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that might all be good, but Elizabeth Warren has been a complete and total electoral failure so far. Maybe not on the Tom Steyer level, but, but her campaign peaked in October, which, you know, is unfortunately way before any of the, you know, primaries started. So she's hanging on, but doesn't have a lot of money and doesn't have a lot of support to the point that there is a very real chance that she may even lose her home state of Massachusetts tonight to Bernie Sanders. Not necessarily predicting it, but she's behind in a lot of the polls. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I am fascinated by why certain candidates succeed. And, you know, the, the, the Bernie Sanders phenomena I understand why he's succeeding. You know, he was around 4 years ago, he he mobilized. You've got young voters who just think that this is this terrible country and we have all this economic unfairness and Bernie is promising to free this and free that and free everything. I understand where that appeal comes from. So I I get where the Sanders appeal comes from. Um Elizabeth Warren has been, in many cases, arguing for the same things, perhaps just at, perhaps as vocally. But her campaign just has not taken off, and I don't think you're going to see anything different tonight. Our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. She positioned herself as the uber-liberal. She's as far left as Bernie Sanders. The thing she thought that was going to help her is the fact that she unlike Bernie, she's a woman, and so she's been playing the gender card whenever she gets a chance to do that hey i'm I'm a female i I'm Bernie Sanders, but yet. You know, for all you women out there who've always wanted a female president, I am your candidate. So she's played the gender card. That doesn't appear to be working. She's played the uber-lefty card, and that doesn't appear to be working. She's played the I'm really, really smart, I'm the smartest person in the crowd card. That doesn't appear to be working. Why is it that the Warren campaign has been a flop? 855-616-1620, 855-616-1620 that's the Accident mortgage talk and text line like i say you, you read a lot of the mainstream liberal press and the, the reviews have been gushing have been gushing but but she hasn't connected with voters and i don't think that's going to change tonight again could be wrong but i don't think that's going to change what was the problem where did the warren campaign go wrong Is it simply the fact that America is not, again, ready for a female president? Or is this just not the right woman? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What happened with the Warren campaign? Why did it get, and why is it getting no traction? We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, on paper... Elizabeth Warren should be running away with the race for the Democrat nomination. okay it, it, okay she she's just as far left as Bernie Sanders um, She's got the female card that's there. She's an aggressive fighter she's got a track record i mean you look at it she should be leading the pack and i think there's a lot of people who thought she was going to be there's a lot of people who got invested in the warren campaign and it, it's gone nowhere 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and uh, text line. Let's see. Let's go to text. Jeff, um, I think the Elizabeth Warren problem is that there's just very little difference with Bernie Sanders and Bernie was there first. There is an element. Jeff, the feeling I see from people who lean very left is that Warren is completely fake. And there's some overlap there with right leaning people who considered her to be a liar. Okay, which ties into the next text, Jeff. It started with the lying about her being a Native American, and the fact is she just isn't likable. Yeah, I to that extent, she's got a Hillary Clinton problem. Hillary Clinton was not likable. Elizabeth Warren is not likable. I, that's and I, I And I understand maybe some people don't like to hear that, or maybe some people disagree, and I respect that, but it's just I, I always feel whenever I'm watching Elizabeth Warren like I'm, I'm getting lecture to like it, it's that sort of like the, the the school mom or that high school teacher that you just couldn't stand who's just lecturing to you and giving you the impression that that she's smarter than you and you know and she may be she may be but I, I will tell you this and this is something I found out over all the years um, I, I, I hang out with some really smart people who, in many cases, are the smartest people in the room. And one of the things those people know is that even if you are the smartest person in the room, you don't want to carry yourself like you are. And, I, I mean, I'll give you an example. Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan – oh, you're mentioning Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan is the smartest person in a lot of rooms that he's going to walk into, but you, you deal with Paul, and you don't walk out feeling, oh, I, I just got lectured to, or I just got preached to, or I just got talked down to. Um, big, big difference. Um, she just, Elizabeth Warren, I think, just never learned that particular lesson. And by the way, I, I don't, in my opinion at least, it doesn't have anything to do with the whole male or female issue. I mean, I I, I think... You have female candidates who are very likable. I think Amy Klobuchar, for example, is likable. I said yesterday, I I think if Joe Biden gets the nomination, I think Klobuchar would be a very, very formidable vice presidential candidate. I will not be surprised if the first woman elected president is a Republican and Nikki Haley, because Nikki Haley is really, really smart. But Nikki Haley is also extremely, I think, likable as well. Jeff, I've always believed that the best indicator of future performance is past performance. I can't stand liars or hypocrites. Elizabeth Warren is the ultimate example of both. She lied about her Native American status, and she preaches about income equality while taking $400,000 to teach a class. I can't stand her, and I suspect um, the feeling of a lot of Americans is, is the same. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's there is an issue. Jeff, maybe after yelling at Bloomberg, she is staying in the race in hope of Bloomberg asking her to be the vice president. No, I don't think that's the case. Jeff, she is insecure and full of glittering generalities. Huh. Um I don't think so let's see. Uh, when it comes down to Warren, I'm on the same page as you. I see her as a true contender when she's on the debate stage in a paper. I, I don't, however, think she made a big enough splash in her career in government supporters to rally behind her. I was watching a man on the street interview at one of the Warren events, and, and nobody interviewed could come up with one thing she's achieved outside of running for president. Yeah, th- these are all the factors that, that go in, and I you know, on paper, she should have been the perfect candidate, but but she's not. So now the interesting thing is going to be, assuming that the Super Tuesday race tonight, from her perspective, is a bomb, and and she's she's low on campaign cash. That you know that was one of the things that drove Klubachar and uh, Buttigieg out of the race is they, they just didn't have any money. That Bernie Sanders has money. Um, Mike Bloomberg has money. Biden doesn't have a lot of money, but he's going to probably get more now that he's emerging as the candidate. The question is going to be, you know, can Elizabeth Warren step out gracefully, throw her support to Bernie Sanders and then move on? Or is she going to hang on week after week after week? I don't know what the answer to that is going to be. She doesn't strike me as somebody who's going to be willing to get out of the way Of people who are more likely to succeed for the good of the party but I could end up being wrong but I mean the big things to watch tonight a Massachusetts and Elizabeth Warren I guess theoretically if she wins big in her home state maybe that's momentum to help her keep going because she's not going to do well in California she's certainly not going to do well in the South but maybe one state is enough to keep her going if she loses her home state to Bernie Sanders um, I, I don't know if she's going to come to that conclusion, but I think everybody else would know you start playing the song, Turn Out the Lights, The Party's Over. Uh, might come as a surprise to some of the New York Times editorial writers, but to a lot of us, not really. This is Jeff Wagner.